0: series, or three-part session, three sessions to the day. The first session here in the Sunday School Hour uh, is when we give the, the big picture of kind of, this is the, the skeleton that helps us explain how do we understand the overview of Bible prophecy, and then the next two sessions we'll look at current events in the last year and uh, see how they fit with that, what we've learned in this hour. So that's where we're beginning. We'll begin with the uh, overview, but let me um, let me open us with a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for uh, this day. We thank you for the beauty of this day and the opportunity of this day. And Father, we thank you for your word that lays out so wonderfully uh, your plan for the ages. Thank you for teaching us and showing us that. And Father, I pray that as a result of our time together, we will be a better understanding of your word, better understanding of our times, and better ready uh, to meet the return of Jesus Christ. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're uh, talking about the, uh, the overview, if you will, of, of Bible prophecy. And um, I like this quote from Martin Luther. He said, uh, "There are two days on my calendar, today and that day." Now, always a sense of the re- looking to the return of Christ. And then, um, one a Presbyterian pastor uh, of Scotland from a previous generation, you see his dates. He said this: "To call attention to the prophetic word is to call attention to the eternal purpose of God." I, I'm going to. I spent a couple times looking look, Slides looking at the um, the uh, why we're doing this. Why are we studying prophecy? Some people say, "Oh, that's just because you're some kind of unhealthy fascination." Well, if you were to look through the scriptures, you'd find that one third to one fourth of the Bible is prophecy, and so much of what we know about Christ is this idea of um, that that he came in the fulfillment of prophecy. And so I think that's a, a healthy reminder to us that it's important. And I've always been struck by Isaiah when, he, when Isaiah confronts the false gods and said only the true God can say what's going to happen in the future and that's what happens. So prophecy is something that really glorifies the Lord. And so that's what Bonar is saying. To call attention to the prophetic word is to call attention to the eternal purpose of God. I'd like to look at... Um, some little reminders here. Here's a cartoon. The end of the world came while well, you were on Facebook. I wonder how many people will look up from their social media and say, oh, what happened? So, so that's a little reminder. Sometimes I like to point you to some resources to, uh, to where do I study uh, prophecy. And, and you can, uh, there's lots and lots of books out there. Uh, some, these are some standards, old standards, if you will, but still useful. Uh, one, Dr. Walvard was president at the seminary for a number of years, and his special specialty was uh, prophecy. So he wrote a helpful volume uh, called "Remarkably Prophecy," uh, and so he kind of breaks it down into 14 main ideas. Dr. Pentecost was a Bible professor at the seminary, and um, he did his doctoral dissertation. Uh, doing a a thoroughgoing study of of the prophecy as as laid out in scripture, and he called it Things to Come. And um, so this book has been kind of like an encyclopedic resource, tremendous uh, indexes and that sort of thing. This next slide kind of shows a more current, and I think probably more accessible, more easily readable, but very thorough. It's called The End by Mark Hitchcock. He's a pastor, but also a Bible professor at Dallas Seminary. And so uh, this is one of my, uh, I just have been very impressed at how well he lays things out. He's also an attorney, and so he, he likes to lay out his arguments and, and lay it, for, put it out before you. So those are some, some books that will be helpful. The next volume that is probably the best book on prophecy, um, and that is called The Bible. And so I always recommend reading that one, too. But it gets, I admit, it's hard. You know, you start reading some of these uh, texts and you, it's, it's challenging. And, w- and when we come to prophecy, one of the big issues that divides us on this, as you see in this next slide, is that uh, how do we interpret prophecy? Everybody agrees who believes the Bible that it has prophecy in it. So how do we know, how do we understand and interpret it? <clears throat> well, um, basically the question is do we interpret it spiritually Or literally, do we spiritualize, or do we take it for what it says, and 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 that's that's really what divides uh, Bible believers as far as how we approach prophecy. Do we take it literally or not? Let me show you this. Also, this next slide here, Um, Dr. Walbert expressed it well. He wrote a book called um, the Prophecy Knowledge Handbook, and it just walks through from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, he, he addresses every passage that talks about, that, that's prophetic. And there's one, he counts some 1,000 scriptural passages, and about half of them have already been fulfilled. And they've been fulfilled literally. And I think that's the key. So we could all say, we just went through Christmas a little bit ago. Um, where was Jesus to be born? Bethlehem. Where was he born? Bethlehem, literally fulfilled. And we could walk through various expect, uh, things like that. Uh, he used to be born of a virgin, and he was born of a virgin. And so we could walk through those things and say, look, prophecy that has been fulfilled has been fulfilled literally. And so that helps us. So as we see on this next slide, um, that uh, one of, there, there are three major views that I want to briefly mention. And I should say that we're going to talk in one... Sunday school hour. Um, what you could take a semester course studying. So this is a big overview, but there are basically three ways we th- that Bi- Bible believers uh, uh, interpret prophecy. One one view is the Ab Millennial view. <clears throat> if you break, look at that word millennium, millennium is a thousand year period. Mill like millimeters, a you know thousandth of a meter. ennium, annual. So there's the thousand years. An amillennialist says there is no thousand-year reign of Christ. And so what they say, but they see the the Bible talks about a kingdom. And so they say, well, it must be a spiritual kingdom. And and that's where, um, so that's called amillennialism. And basically what you end up saying is the church is the kingdom. And... um, that's the, the church age was it where it introduced the kingdom. Christ is now reigning. And again, I often say that when I, if, if this is the kingdom, I'm depressed. Uh, that's not the great period of, of glory that seems to be described. So on, prophetically, this next thing shows us how, how, that, how that lays out. Christ came, died on the cross, resurrected from the tomb. We're now in the church age. This is the reign of Christ. At the end of the kingdom period, Christ returns and man is separated to heaven or hell. So we're in the kingdom now. At the end of the kingdom, Christ returns and it's all over. The next view we want to talk about is post-millennialism. And so there you see after millennialism. And what that basically is saying is the church is to bring in the kingdom. Uh, uh, so the church does, isn't the kingdom But through the church, through evangelism, and you see this uh, a lot of times in older uh, missionary hymns and this sort of thing, that the purpose of the missions is to bring in the kingdom. And so through the preaching of the gospel, and so you'll see a lot of times an emphasis on we're going to bring in the kingdom, we're going to bring in the reign of Christ. Our goal is to bring Christ's sovereignty over world affairs. That's post-millennialism. What it looks like in terms of prophecy is... Uh, here's the church. We see the beginning. Christ died, resurrection, the church age. And and then the church is going to bring in the kingdom. At the end of the kingdom, so here it's like amillennialism, but they believe in a literal kingdom, maybe not a literal thousand-year period. Christ returns. It's all over. So the church brings in the kingdom, and Christ comes at the end of that. That's post-millennialism. The next view is... Um, premillennialism premillennialism so there's the word pre what that's saying is christ doesn't come post after the kingdom he comes pre before the kingdom and so the church doesn't isn't the kingdom the church doesn't bring in the kingdom the church prays for christ to bring the kingdom so it's a literal kingdom and 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 what we're told in the lord's prayer Um, we're to pray thy kingdom come and so that's a premillennial prayer. That's not amillennial. It's not saying, Lord, we, we're enjoying your kingdom. It's saying, Lord, we want your kingdom. And what will be characteristic of the kingdom? Your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if that de- describes the kingdom, I have to ask you, are we in the kingdom now? Is, is Christ's will being done on earth now as it is in heaven? I don't think so. So our job isn't to bring in the kingdom. Our job is to uh, pray for the kingdom. And so we see how it looks in terms of prophecy. We see the church, you know, Christ coming, the church. Then uh, Christ will return and he establishes and rules over a kingdom for a thousand years. So post-millennialism, we bring in the kingdom, Christ returns. millennialism, we are the kingdom, Christ returns. In premillennialism, here we are in the church waiting for, praying for the kingdom. Christ comes and he establishes the kingdom. And he reigns over the kingdom for a thousand years. I always like to quote people that can support us on things. And um, Mr. Spurgeon is a name you know. known. He's a uh, a Baptist pastor, a Calvinistic Baptist pastor in London in the 1800s, and here's what he said: "Some think that this descent of the Lord will be post-millennial, that is, after the thousand years of His reign. I cannot think so. I conceive that the advent, the coming of Christ we've just gone through the advent season of his first coming, we look for the second advent. I conceive the advent will be pre-millennial, that he will come first. And then will come the millennium as the result of his personal reign upon the earth. And so when I get to heaven and see Chuck, I'll give him a high five and say, we, you, you got it right. We were, we were together on that. Here's another quote from him on the literal kingdom. He said, we expect a reigning of Christ on earth. That seems to us to be very plain and put so literally we dare not spiritualize it. So in other words, he was aware of the various views, and he's talking about a premillennial literal reign of Christ on earth. We anticipate a first and second resurrection, the first resurrection of the righteous, the second resurrection of the ungodly. Amillennialism, postmillennialism basically say there's one resurrection. Everybody's raised, and then there's the division. He's saying, no, there's going to be two phases to that. And so... um, that, that is the layout that we would agree as far as the premillennial view of things. So let's talk about the main program. <clears throat> Basically, it's, uh, the Bible speaks of, first of all, Christ's first coming and second coming. His first coming, we saw, we've already seen that, his, uh, and he's born, lives, ministers, dies, rises from the dead, returns to heaven. In his second coming, he will return. And judge the nations. There'll be the resurrection of the saints and the thousand-year reign on earth. That's what's described uh, in the scriptures. The ne- but now, if we know, look at this next program, uh, you see between those two now comes the the the, um, the 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 church age comes between those two. So between the kingdom and the first and second coming, we're now in the church age. And then between the, the, in this next slide, we'll see that between the church age and the kingdom is the period called the tribulation. So big picture, first and second coming. Between those, the church. Between the church and the second coming is a period called the tribulation. Or the time of Jacob's trouble, it's called in uh, Jeremiah. Daniel speaks of the 70th week. So those would all be ways of describing the church age. So if, let's give the kind of an overview now, the, the big, the rundown of prophecy, as I like to call it. <clears throat> In this next slide, um, you'll see the, the 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 rundown of prophecy. I had to work hard to come up with an alliterated por- program, but it works, sort of. So we see first there's the rapture. This is what's coming next: the tribulation, the return of Christ, the reign of Christ. Uh, his judgment or the retribution of Christ and then the replacement uh, where there's a new heavens and new earth. So let's, let's start looking at what that looks like. The, first, the next phase is the rapture and we can see that the, the next predicted event is what's called the rapture. The term rapture as you can see uh, some people say well I don't see the word rapture even in the Bible. Well, in the, in the Latin translation, it, it's actually there. But the idea is, the idea of rapture is, uh, it's a catching up. That's what the word means. It's a catching, a snatching up, a catching up. And so we see that in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. That we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. That's the rapture. It's, he's a snatching up. Okay? And again, I like to illustrate that we see, we speak of different, uh, a class of birds called raptors. Uh, raptors are birds that snatch up their prey. As this next picture shows you uh, this is a mouse about to experience a rapture. <clears throat> it, and it's a life-changing event as it will be for the mouse. And I, I like this, I've shown this slide, this, this next uh, little video clip here. Um, I, I like this uh, picture, there's a rapture. And it's a fulfillment of the scripture. He's going to snatch us up so that where he is, we can be with him. So he brings us to his home. <laughs> um, now, this next one I like to show, show it, it illustrates, it's not, that was the living that's being snatched up, but also the dead will be snatched up. And here is somebody who has put a dead fish out and the eagle comes and snatches it up which proves that birds like sushi. A... But so, so those, I'm sorry, yeah. Um, but, but here we see, though, the idea of a raptor, a rapture, a snatching up. So that, that word is what that means, and then it's, that's a picture of what's going to happen at the second coming. So what is the rapture? It's the transformation of the living and the resurrection of the dead. I used to say it's, it's, it's a resurrection. But really, uh, as I thought to be more accurate, resurrection means the bringing of the dead up into living glorified bodies. Like what happened to Christ. His dead body was transformed. That's half of the story of the rapture. But what about those who are alive? It's not really a resurrection. They're not being restored to life, if you will. Rather, they're being transformed. They're getting a resurrection body without the death. And that's, that's where Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5. That, that, that would be his preference. And, and that's my preference. Wouldn't you rather, instead of going through the death process, wouldn't it be lovely just to just be brought straight up into heaven and, and have a transformed body? Uh, one generation is going to experience that. So that's, that's the idea. So this next slide will, will kind of lay it out in a couple of scriptures. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4, which is one of the passages that lays out a lot of information about it and often read at funerals, uh, verses 16 to 17, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first, that we who are alive remain shall be brought caught up together with them. There's that word caught up, raptured with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So, the dead in Christ, are, their spirit's already in heaven, their bodies here in the grave. That reunion happens as the Lord's coming down, and then we, are, we meet them in the clouds. And 1 Corinthians 15 describes it in the great, 1 Corinthians 15 is Paul's great pa- passage on uh, resurrection. And he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That's the New Testament way of expressing believers' death, but we shall all be changed. And of course, you know, that's a little sign that's been quoted and put on many a church nursery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. <clears throat> in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And so that's, uh, that's the, the expectation there. That It makes it clear It's that this coming event will be instantaneous. It will affect the dead and the living. It'll be a resurrection of the dead, the living. will. It'll be a transformation. In both cases, they are given a body that is incorruptible. That fits right into Messiah, doesn't it? The, we, we shall be made incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So that's our great hope. And uh, so this next slide is a, just a... Um, just a reminder: the believing will be leaving. And no, I didn't create that quote, but that's the rapture. So, what happens? The dead in Christ rise first, and and I like the next. Again, I use some cartoons. Uh, post-rapture sale going on, many new openings, uh, and so that's an interesting thought. At the rapture, those they'll you know they could go in and find out is there is there a body in that grave? It's gone. So this body will be um, transformed, and it will be restored. And, you know, you could talk about the scriptures. What about, you know, for for those buried at sea, what about those destroyed and and spread out in a bomb or whatever it may be? God can take care of that, and he will, and he will. Um, This is a picture of the rapture, if, if you could see. So you can see all over the world. (laughs) <laughs> um, so picking on las vegas there's many a city we could have picked on uh, the next picture uh, shows kind of what might will happen now why do we we say that why, why do we always show those clothes left behind remember when jesus was res, re, resurrected remember his grave clothes were left behind so um, will the clothes be left behind i guess we sure won't need them in heaven and maybe, but maybe that maybe that you get to heaven and they'll be restored. You know, the the torn up knees will be <laughs> fully intact. So the question then is, when is the rapture? Uh, the rapture um, is before this period called the tribulation, and you can see that described. Uh, and I've got we, can, we don't have time to do a full development on this, but um, Revelation 3:10 says, "Be." God promises the church, because you have kept my command to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Well, the book of Revelation describes that time of testing that's coming. An Hour is not 160 minutes, but there is an example, this period of time. <clears throat> and, that's, and, and it's not saying that believers will not suffer. You can look through 2,000 years of history. From the Roman Colosseum and through all, much of history, believers have suffered. Suffered natural things, suffered persecution. That's not the issue. But God is going to take them out before he pours his wrath in that time of Jacob's trouble. It's a time specifically focused on a on fallen world and especially on Israel. It's, it's the final seven years of God's program for Israel. So the believers will be taken out of that. Now, I, we can also show that logically. Um, if the rapture is at and the amillennialists and the postmillennialists like to say that the rapture, it, it, remember Christ returns and everybody's just, it's all over. There's the rapture or the resurrection, dead and living, heaven and hell, one big movement. If the rapture is at the second coming of Christ, not before the tribulation but after the tribulation period, what that means is there's, there's no mortals left on earth. To populate the kingdom. The kingdom is the thousand year reign of Christ. And those who go into the kingdom are those who survive the tribulation period. They're living people. How do we know that? They're going to have children. They're going to, have, they're going to be married. Um, and we're told in heaven, in the resurrection, there is no marriage. So the kingdom will be mortals. And specifically, believers. Uh, it's the believer believing mortals will enter the kingdom well if the rapture takes the believing mortals there's no one left to enter the kingdom and if i can illustrate that uh, first of all this text you notice uh uh before this this picture here we talk about it coming Uh-oh, what did i do i lost my slide i'll go with the slide that's up there hmm uh, you see that the, there's the scripture speaks of the judgment when Christ returns. The nations will be gathered, and there'll be a dividing, the, the, a judgment of the, of the nations or the sheep and the goats. And, and so, if you look at this next slide, um, or here's this describes it. He will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. The king will say to those on his right hand, "Come, you blessed, my father, inherit the kingdom." Uh, and so, so sheep on the right. Those are the ones who inherit the kingdom. Those on the left go into judgment. Okay. In this next slide, um, here's the point. If the sheep are believers and if they're raptured, what happens? All that's left are goats. No sheep are left to enter the kingdom. Does that make sense? And so, so just logically, you cannot have the rapture at the second coming of Christ because then there are no believers left to enter and populate the kingdom. Um, Let me look at my slides here. Okay. So what we're saying is, and here's another way of thinking about the rapture, two terms, it's imminent but unknown. Imminent means it could happen at any moment. There's no prophecy yet to be fulfilled that must be fulfilled before the rapture. And the Bible tells us we don't know when Christ will come. The day of the Lord, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven. He says, it's not for you to know times or seasons. So we don't know when it's going to happen. We just know it's going to happen. And so we live with the expectancy today could be the day. Um, I remember I've mentioned this before when I was in seminary. You know, KCBI, one of the uh, Christian radio stations still on. At that time, it had a license. It was just, I think, dawn to dusk or dawn to midnight or something. So at dawn, they would start. And I had my alarm set to that radio station. And so the first thing I would hear as I woke up would be, they always played the same song, this could be the day. You know, and so what a great way to start off saying, you know, just a reminder, okay, could be today. Live like you're ready to meet the Lord today. Uh, so this, is, this next uh, slide kind of shows us a good reminder, caution rapture you know that's coming up so let's go back to our list again rundown of prophecy we talked about the rapture and by the way I know uh, we're covering this quickly and maybe later on we can do some question times I don't know if during lunch or something but um, I'm just kind of racing through so first the rapture then comes the period of the tribulation or it's a time of seven year period of judgment so here's the tribulation Uh, We see it laid out, for example, in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. Alas, for the day is great, so that none is like it. It is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. So here's what's significant. The scripture tells us it's a time of God dealing with Israel. That's Jacob. It'll be a time of trouble. It'll be a time of judgment, but a time of refining. and, And Israel will... Come out of this and be prepared for the kingdom. So it's focus again on Israel. God's program for the church will have been completed, raptured out. Now back to Israel. And this next cha- passage shows you Daniel chapter 9 verses 24 to 27. This is one of those passages <clears throat> we could spend a couple hours talking our way through. But in this we see Daniel, and if, and if we step back, Daniel was looking at... He was in Babylon in captivity. He was reading the book of Jeremiah. And he noticed that God said they would be sent away uh, for uh, you know 70 years. And he started doing the math and said, Hey, we're, we're, it's almost time for the 70 years to be up. Uh, and so he was praying. And, and God revealed to him um, that that would be happening. But he said... Actually, I have a 70 seven-year periods in view. 70 weeks. And so the week means seven years. 70 seven-year periods. And I'll give you a minute. You can pull out your phones, do 70 times seven, and see what you come up with. 490 years, right? And so he said, it's for your people and for Jerusalem. So again, this is God's program for Israel. And then he says, there'll be 62 followed by seven years. And and he says, at the end of the 7 and 62, Messiah shall be cut off. So God says, I've got 70 seven-year periods coming. Seven years will come, verse uh, 25, and then the 62 years, so that's the 69 of the 70. At the end of the 69 weeks, or 483 years, it says Messiah will be cut off. This is always an astonishing prophecy to me because God right here was telling Daniel, I can give you the time frame of when Messiah will come and be cut off. 483 years from a going forth, in verse 25, from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Well, when Daniel was written, Babylon had been destroyed. By the end of the New Old Testament, uh, I mean, Babylon, Jerusalem had been destroyed. Jerusalem is restored before the end of the Old Testament. Look at books like Haggai and Zechariah and, and Ezra and Nehemiah describe that period. The temple and the city were rebuilt. So very simply you could say, well, then I could go out 483 years from that and I would find when the Messiah is cut off. And if you follow the math out, that leads directly to the time of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. This next slide goes further. There's there's kind of a summary of it. And here's a chart that that puts it all together. This is one of the things that sometimes uh, people make fun of of dispensational uh, teaching on prophecy, all, all these charts. Well, some of us need charts to help figure things out. Okay, and so, real briefly, look at it. It says, the decree to rebuild is what how it said. 483 years from that, Messiah is cut off. The decree to rebuild goes, we can trace it to March 5th in the year 444 BC. Artaxerxes gave the decree, and it, you can see it described in Nehemiah chapter 2. If you do the math then, Messiah is cut off and that leads us to the time of Christ. Again, this this passage has been used to lead some Jews to faith. They start reading this and say, wait a minute. You're telling me from the time the restoration of Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple, what's called the second temple, 500 years out, Messiah comes and is cut off? Wait a minute, that's 2,000 years ago right. Your Messiah came 2,000 years ago. So again, that's, that's stunning. So, and then, it's, then we're told that the prince of the people who is to come, or the, pe- the people who is to come, will destroy Jerusalem, and the prince coming out of that people will be what's called the Antichrist. So Jerusalem was going to be destroyed, but but really, the clock stops with the cutting off Messiah. We're now in this uh, interlude, intermission. Um, and if you're trying to, if you're, you know, sometimes if you watch these old movies on TV and they've even still got the intermission. Of course, we want to fast forward. Let's get back to the action. Well, we're in an intermission that's been pretty long. But, the, but uh, in that time frame, that's, again, the city and temple are destroyed. Guess what? A.D. 70 that happened. Who destroyed Jerusalem and the temple? The Romans did. And we're told a prince will arise from the people who destroyed Jerusalem. Someone will come out of the Roman uh, people, not necessarily Italian, but from the Roman Empire and he will be the Antichrist. And then we're told he'll There'll be this, then Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, uh, again, lays it out. We can look at this next slide and, and get a quick summary there. Um, and we're told in, in that after the 69 weeks, Messiah comes, and we're told there'll be this seven-year period. It begins with the making of a, of a covenant, a pedi, a, pedi, a a tree's I've got, I, I'm going to have to get some coffee here to make it through the rest of this day. <clears throat> so he's, gonna, he's going to uh, make a, a covenant of peace for seven years. But at the middle of that, he's going to violate that and the abomination of desolation happens. In that seven years, there'll be a restored temple because he says there'll be sacrifices. But then that temple will be abominated it's called in Daniel the abomination of desolation Jesus refers to that and says when you see that get out of Jerusalem because it's really going to get bad so Jesus took Daniel literally and said when you see that happen it'll be time to get out of Jerusalem but it begins with this this peace treaty let's look at our next slide here so this kind of summarizes it this tribulation period it's going to be a seven-year period. Uh, and if you read in the book of Revelation, it talks about the um, seven seals. And, and, and you see the way this, I like the way this diagram kind of helps us here. <clears throat> you can see the seven seals. The seventh seal is the seven trumpets. And the seventh trumpet is the seven vials or bowl judgments. So that, this kind of lays this, that you, you can, this, That's an outline of the book of Revelation if you walk through all these horrific judgments that were poured out on the face of the earth. And this chart uh, here is another famous, familiar chart uh, that kind of describes it. You see it in big picture. You see the church age, and then you see the rapture of the church. Then comes this period of seals and trumpets and bowls, and then Christ comes back, and the kingdom is brought in. So again, the chart, again, a lot of t- times, if you're, a lot of us are visual, we read a text and we're trying to put it all down we start saying, let me draw this out. And that's, this is summarizing some of those key passages. So with the fr- next big key is, there's talk about the seven seals. And, and some people get a little confused, what do you mean seven seals? It's not these kind of seals. It's not this, these kind of seals either. Uh, it's rather This. It's it's a seal. We don't do this too much, but anymore. Sometimes you'll see that a fancy you want to send an envelope to someone and you put a seal on it. But a sevenfold seal was an indication either of a will or a deed, and but especially it was like a will, and they would seal it up with seven seals, and there was a legal proceeding to inherit. Something the heir would take this document and break the seals. That would be a legal action declaring, I am now taking possession of the inheritance described in this document. And so Revelation 5, here's the document, basically the will and and deed to all of creation. And they're crying out, who's worthy to take it? Who's, who's worthy to inherit this? And remember, John starts crying because no one was worthy. And then an angel says... You know. chill <laughs> uh, there is someone who's worthy and I saw a lamb standing as if slain worthy is the lamb because he gave his life and so he takes the seal and what does he do then we see if you, that's Revelation 5 and then if you read through Revelation then you see the breaking of the seals that he is declaring, he's taking possession. And so the first seven seals we talk about, the opening of the seventh seal is then the, the uh, trumpet judgments, then the trumpet judgments are seven, the seventh trumpet brings in the bowl judgments. And this next chart kind of summarizes um, what that all is. So in a nutshell, that's the book of Revelation. And it's laid out in that way uh, so it's very dramatic of how God is very methodically, purposefully, intentionally pouring out pre-planned judgments. But, but you look at that and it's just horrible. Uh, death. And, and, and it talks about you know, a third of the people died. A third of the sea, uh, of the animals in the sea are destroyed. A third of the rivers, darkness and demons and armies and diseases It'll be a time of of terrible destruction and judgment on the face of the earth. So following that, we see this kind of a chart that that lays it out this way. Um, The first three and a half years are the seals and the trumpets, I believe. And then at the, the last three and a half years are the bold judgments when it's really intense. That's the abomination of desolation. After that, then it really becomes an intense time. That's the seven year tribulation period. So, in a sense, here it is. You get seven years, and notice it's three and a half and three and a half. And then the next uh, issue is it begins with a peace treaty made by the Antichrist. And so, one of the things we'll look at during our time is this idea of a world leader that could bring peace. Think about it who in the world? Look at the mess of the of the middle east who's gonna be able to bring peace and peace that includes the ability to have the temple on the temple mount and the sacrifices returned and that's you know that's the kind of thing we'll look at in the next hours uh this interest in the temple but the temple will be rebuilt the peace treaty be established and then um you'll see that the uh temple like i said will be rebuilt we're told that because uh, first of all that's um that's where the sacrifices have to be offered. But even in Thessalonians, we read that the Antichrist will take over the temple and, and, and it'll be a place of worshiping for him. So what the Bible says is uh, the temple will be rebuilt in the, in, in the tribulation period. Now, it could be built beforehand, but it's a central figure in the tribulation period. And so one of the things we'll look about in the next hour is there any the temple isn't there, hasn't been there for 2,000 years. What about that? And we'll talk about the fact that there's interest to this day, a lot of interest to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Well, as you continue on, you'll see that following that, um, the Antichrist comes. But the next thing we want to look at is what's called uh, the, the battle of Gog and Magog and that's kind of famous you see it in Bible prophecy a lot you see it in, it's laid out in chapters 38 and 39 in the book of um, Ezekiel what this is describing is uh, there will be an attack on Israel and I'm quoting here from um, Dan, Charlie Dyer in the Bible knowledge commentary he's a good student of Bible prophecy and he says this there will be an attack when Israel is at peace <clears throat> Matter of fact, in Ezekiel, it says there'll be so much at peace, their cities will not be walled. And so some people say, well, when will this happen? And some say it happens before the tribulation. um, But I I don't see Israel being at peace too often. But rather, in the tribulation, the Antichrist will come and he will establish peace. (laughs) So I understand that this battle, this invasion of Israel happens during the tribulation After the peace is established. So that last seven years starts with a peace treaty. Um, The attack will come when Israel's at peace. When the covenant of the Antichrist is in effect. At the beginning of Daniel's 70 week, there's peace. And then it describes in, in Jeremiah these nations. And if we put the locations named and match them up to who's there now, you would see, well, he wrote this, as you can see, during the period of the Soviet Union. So that would be now Russia. But nations like Russia, Turkey, Iran, Sudan, Ethiopia, and Libya will invade Israel. Now, we might need a little help geographically, so this next um, image kind of shows you. There's, you see all these nations are, will come in, so they're kind of surrounded by all these nations attacking Israel when they're at peace. But you see, but this is one of the things we'll see. It'll be a, it'll be a, like a confederacy of these nations, and so one of the things we might look at is are, where are the evidences that Russia and Iran and Turkey, for example, Egypt, Libya, Sudan. Where, where is there any evidence of them uh, joining up and against Israel? And we'll talk about that in our update. So, but again, there's the picture of them, and then here's the scripture that kind of helps us. It'll be attack from the north. They will come, your people will come. Uh, you will come from your place out of the north. Speaking of this this invasion, many peoples will come with you. So they're not all coming from the north. It'll be a great and mighty army, bringing from the north. Where is that north? In this next map, if you go directly north of Israel, uh, you go straight line up from Jerusalem to Israel, and you come to Moscow. Not Moscow, Idaho. Uh, Mos- uh, Moscow, Russia. And so, it's, so, where is it coming from? You see the north. It uh, does fit with Russia. Well, let's look at this next. Um, and we won't get too much in it, but uh, it's not Russia because Roche sounds like Russia. But if you look at ancient writers, the Roche people lived to the north of the Black Sea. And that, again, sounds like Russia. And frankly, part of the area that's involved is um, a place we now call. Um, I just lost it. Russia has invaded Ukraine. Ukraine. There you go. Um, Ukraine is part of that same area. And that's what the Russians are saying today, right? Well, it's all Russia. And the Ukrainians are saying, no, it's not. We're different. We're separate. Well, that's a battle that's been going back for over 1,000 years. But from that region is when this invasion comes. And let's uh, go to the next slide. And you see there in Ezekiel. Uh, The people of Magog, Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, verse 5, will join with Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them. So from the north, this region that includes Russia and Turkey and even the Istan countries, will be joined by Persia, modern-day Iran, Ethiopia, Libya, in Africa. So again, it's this multinational uh, force that will invade. And this next picture, I think, can show you that uh, these are the regions that are described by those areas in biblical times. And I don't know if you have this next slide there. Again, you see them basically. So there's Israel, and they're, they're going to they're gonna come at them from all these directions, um, and it'll be an incredible time of difficulty. And God will conquer them. And then, and then comes the next phase. So that's in the first half of the tribulation. Then the next part, at the midpoint, <clears throat> Satan we're told is cast out of heaven a lot of times you think well wait a minute i thought satan was already cast out um he apparently still has access Uh, yes he he did rebel he did come under judgment but you read in the book of job he he appears before god with the angels and in the he's also described in the in the scriptures as the accuser of the brethren but at the midpoint of the tribulation at the three and a half mark if you do the net math at the 1260 days that's half of seven years. Um, there's a battle in heaven, Satan versus Michael. And finally, Satan and his, 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 his fallen angels, his demons, are expelled from heaven. And verse 9 says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. No question who we're talking about. He deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels out with him. So, so John is show, showing this future event that Satan and his demons no longer have access. And we're told in verse 13, when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. In the context, that's speaking about Israel, which is the source of the Messiah. So when Satan is cast out of heaven at the midpoint of the tribulation, this is the time frame for the abomination of desolation when Jesus said, when you see this, it's going to get bad. Satan knows his time is short, and where does he pour out his wrath on Israel? Why? Because Israel gave the Messiah and his beloved of God, and so his fury uh, is is poured out horrifically at this last three and a half years of the tribulation. So there's a kind of an, a picture. He comes flying down, and he comes with a fury. Um, we see him. He will set up the Antichrist to be worshipped in the temple. He will have the mark of the beast. He will establish a number. He will, he will control the world's economy. You cannot buy or sell without the, the, the mark of the beast. He will, be a, he will rule the world. He will be a one-world government. And he will establish a religion worshipping him there in the temple. So it will be a one-world government, one-world religion, one-world economy. In a time of great wickedness. And so these next slides lay that out. He, uh, authority be given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. A one world government. The next slide a one world religion. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, all, all except for the believers. And then it'll be a one world economy. And at the end of that period will come what's called Armageddon. And this is when the nations of the earth march on Israel and Christ returns and conquers them. Armageddon uh, means literally in Hebrew, the Har of Megiddo, the Hill of Megiddo, and here's Megiddo looking out over the Jezreel Plain. You can see this next. Uh, you can see that slide. It's a, a beautiful place. I like um, one of my favorite theologians is Ronald Reagan. <clears throat> it's really remarkable. He was a believer. I was reading recently about how his brother, uh, his son Michael, uh, he, he talked. He gives his testimony of how. President Reagan uh, evangelized him, shared the gospel with him. Ronald Reagan said this in 19. uh, when he was governor of California, he told a fellow politician for the first time ever, everything is in place for the battle of Armageddon and the second coming of Christ. Now, that's when he was uh, not president, but when he was president in 1983. Now, presidents know a lot about what's happening in the world. And he said, you know, I turned back, speaking to a Jewish audience, I turned back, to your ancient prophets in the Old Testament and the signs foretelling Armageddon and find myself wondering if, if we're the generation that's gonna see that come about. I don't know if you've noted any of those prophecies lately, but believe me, they certainly describe the times. That's in 1983, but in other words, he read his Bible, he knew the news, and he said, boy, this sure sounds like the time leading to Armageddon. And this next uh, thing you'll see a quote from Joel Rosenberg. He said Reagan, who was governor of California, attended a banquet to honor a senator. And um, he asked the senator, Are you familiar with the fierce Old Testament prophet Ezekiel? And then he went on to describe the, 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 the war with of Russia and Gog and Magog. You know, think about that. Here's a future president who knows his Bible and knows biblical prophecy. Um, well, this next slide. Uh, gets us back onto our chart and you see we're looking about the return of Christ we'll hit this quickly the second coming of Christ Acts 1 they watched him go into heaven they said he's going to come back the same way he left and if I can give you a careful interpretation of that that means Christ is going to come back the same way he left visibly in the clouds from Jerusalem to Jerusalem Uh, Titus tells us we are looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the second coming. Now now the next back to our chart there. then after the return of Christ, after the return of Christ is the reign of Christ. That's the kingdom. And we know um, many passages speak about his promise to Abraham. The land is described in the Bible. We're told in Revelation it's going to be for a thousand years. Uh, David was promised that one of his descendants would rule. That's the kingdom. The next passage, God made an irrevocable covenant. I will not cast Israel away, nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. God made a promise to Israel. You're not going anywhere. They'll be be scattered, they'll be judged, they'll be attacked, but they will continue to survive because God has a promise to them. And he hasn't fulfilled that promise yet. And, you know, I remember reading about a secular leader said to one of his advisors, can you give me any proof of God? And he said, oh, I can do that in one word. What? Israel. What other minimal little country has lasted through all these times? Israel. It's unique in history. This, these are uh, one way of looking at the boundaries described that were promised to Israel. They've never held that property. And then while they are in ruling there and ruled by Christ, the, the kingdom is a time of peace and righteousness, joy, health, prosperity. Notice the time of uh, health. Uh, Isaiah says, um, if you die at 100 years old, you'll be considered to be died in your youth. We wouldn't say that today. We're amazed when someone gets to 100. Wow. Well, they'll say, oh, that's a pity. Um, so there'll be long life and health and blessing. But, but, Notice, people die. That's not heaven. It's the kingdom. People will live. People will be born. People will die in the kingdom. That's not heaven, but they will live long and be blessed in ways that they haven't been on earth. You know the pictures well. You know the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Um, that's another famous picture. So that's the kingdom. And again, here's the passage that describes a child. You'll, you'll considered to die, die in your infancy if you died 100 years old. The next picture kind of gives a description of what it's going to be. Jerusalem is the, going to be the capital of the world. And Christ will reign from Jerusalem. And so if you want to see the future capital, go to Jerusalem and wander around. It'll look different, but it'll be there. The inhabitants of the kingdom... Are described only believers will enter the kingdom. Um, Children will be born during the kingdom. Those who survive the tribulation will be mortal and will continue, but some will die during the kingdom. Not all will come to faith in the kingdom. Some will follow and be so. Those who are born in the kingdom, those who enter the kingdom are believers. Those who are born in the kingdom still have to come to faith. And by the way, that that's a you know some people say well if every we have a promise from God that if we're believers, our children will be believers. No. They're believers going into the kingdom. It'll be perfect environment, perfect government, perfect everything, and yet some will continue in unbelief and will follow Satan in rebellion. So even a believer's child can be an unbeliever. Um, Continuing on then, we see our rundown The last part is what's called the retribution. That's the great white throne. That's where unbelievers will be judged. If your name's not in the book of life, you're passed into judgment and you're judged according to the measure of your works. And then we see, then finally, the replacement, which is the eternal um, state. I have a a video I like to kind of close with and just remind us of what that's uh, a picture of the next phase for us, and that's the rapture. Let's see if that'll play. May not play. Well, you'll have to wait till the rapture. <laughs> we made it. Made it in time. Um, and I'm going to stop there. We're going to break for a bit and come back to the first hour. will be a regular worship service, but the sermons, will have, we'll have a, the message of kind of walking through now current events measured by that standard. Then we'll break for lunch, come back, and finish off. So that's what's before us. Let me close in prayer. Father, we're reminded again from your word how clear it is. You are sovereign over history. You declare history before it happens. And, Father, you've declared your plan for this world. Help us to see your hand. And, Father, I pray this hope would give us comfort And challenge us to be ready to meet the Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.